Back to Rodin, 15 seconds left. The free song. Johansson fires, scores! It's an OTGWG for Johansson. LaPanta. <laughs> Going into the 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 deep acronym bag there. Wow. So O T G W G M. I take that to mean game winning goal. Right? Correct. Okay. All right. Hockey whisper. I want to play that again. It was some okay. classic Lapanta there. Back to Rodin. Fifteen seconds left. The free song. Johansson fires. Scores. It's an O T G W G for Johansson. Did he pre-plan that, or did he get into the O T? And then decided to keep going it, with the acronym. I think it came spontaneously. I think, I, I think I, it's spontaneous. I don't think it was because I don't think you'd pre-plan it because it's not good enough to pre-plan. Correct. So, like, I, I think he started down the path. But, I mean, you know, it's fine. Uh, but I heard I'm like, OT. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Overtime game winning goal. Very good. <laughs> so, uh, so the Wild and particularly the way that they look in overtime this year compared to not just last year, but pretty much every year. That'll be a subject of discussion today. Mackie and Judd's statements. And also, what are we watching? But we've got a little reckless speculation off the top, because I don't know about you guys, but uh, I couldn't stop thinking about a certain someone as new reports surfaced throughout the weekend. So all kinds of stuff to get to here on this Monday. But Federated Insurance has been helping business owners, and been helping our show and Score North as well as one of our main partners. But they've been helping business owners since the early 1900s, based in Owatonna, Minnesota, and they are stepping up their game for business owners even more in 2021. Federated Mutual Insurance Company recently launched MyShield, the online client destination for risk management resources. Now, as a business owner, how helpful would it be for you to have employee training at your fingertips? Industry resources that can help your business reach another level of success. Think about all the things that could involve risk when it comes to your business, like dear. Employees drive company vehicles. Do they use ladders? Other things that could be risky. Well, MyShield has resources to help your business with all sorts of things uh, related to risk management, whether it's safety training and videos, risk management plans, workplace posters, you name it. Federatedinsurance.com to find out more about MyShield, or you can just download the app uh, and or talk to your local Federated marketing representative. Remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. How much football did you guys inject into your veins this weekend? Was it all of the football? Dawn was gone, so I basically got on the couch Saturday and in the morning, and I got off the couch last night and went to bed. So, did you sleep on the couch on Saturday into Sunday and just? You know what? I don't. I I don't sleep well on the couch. I nap well there. So I actually same. How often are you forced to sleep on the couch? Well, I'm twice just, a week. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All the time. No, but I don't sleep well. I don't. I don't sleep well overnight on the couch. But I nap well there. Correct. And so I got. I got on the couch on Saturday morning and essentially stayed there. And then, but I have to go to bed. It, it, it's weird. I'm the same way, Judd. Exact same. I'm way. glad to know I'm not completely yeah, yeah. weird. Sports the exact same way. A lot of people sleep on the couch and are fine with it. And for some, I don't know why, but for some reason i'm not i can't I, I can't sleep really well on the couch i always feel like i sleep okay like if i fall asleep i think i fell asleep on friday night and woke up at like one in the morning and like jonna had just given up on me yeah. and like gone to bed classic and i so i sleep okay on the couch but i always feel guilty i always i wake up at like one and i'm like ah, why am i here this is weird 
I'm just gonna like go to bed for a few hours now. I don't know. I I just have a weird complex about it. I fell asleep. I, I uh, during the Packer game, I actually fell asleep during the fourth quarter. I find just I, my nap kicked in around then. It actually worked out really well. Oh, you're a huge like Packer fan. Yeah, you're my, sleeping my, through my half big the Packer game. Packer fan, huh? which are now all in my mentions of. Oh, glad you're on the green and gold bandwagon, Declan. But um, yeah, well, you are sort of are. But I fell asleep during the fourth quarter, so a hell of a Packer fan I am. So, um, nice so work. I, I I also injected all the football into my veins. You guys, so much football. Like Judd's a Saved by the Bell fan. I can't remember Declan. You haven't really watched no. much Saved by the Bell. No, Judd, do you remember the episode where Zach Morris? I think it was early, like early Bayside season, like season one. And Zach is obsessed with Kelly Kapowski. And everywhere he opens like his closet, he sees Kelly's face. He's talking to other girls and he sees Kelly's face. Yeah, vaguely, yes. Like everywhere he turns, yes. he sees Kelly's face, right? That's what happened to me this weekend with Deshaun Watson. <laughs> Open the fridge, go grab a go grab a cold no, one. I see Deshaun I'm Watson's right face. I'm going to stop you right there because I'm going to tell you right now, he's not being traded. Everybody tells me he's not being, <laughs> he's not traded, being traded, okay? I mean, you guys Stephon are Diggs just... is staying put here, and Deshaun Watson is staying. Quit trying to make things up, all right? Deshaun Josh Watson Wa- isn't coming to the it, Twins. Deshaun Watson's not being traded. It's never going to happen, ever, 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 unless Shefty tells me it's going to happen. You guys are just pushing your reckless speculation agenda. <laughs> reckless speculation. Well, Until Shefty reports it, I don't believe it. Well, I can't guarantee part two of this, which is he should play for the Vikings, which we'll get into some of that. Uh, but part one, which is the most important part, how how possible and feasible is it that one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL entering his prime, dynamic, mobile, all these things, is just available for trade? Mm-hmm. Here's the latest. Adam Schefter, who you just mentioned, tweets yesterday. There's a growing sense from people in and around the Texans organization that Deshaun Watson has played his last snap for the team. It's early in the offseason. There's a lot of time left, but Watson's feelings cannot and should not be underestimated. He doubled down on that this morning on Get Up and basically said Deshaun Watson has all of the leverage because they gave him a no-trade clause. And he, he said verbatim, Adam Schefter, the Texans need Deshaun Watson a lot more than Deshaun Watson needs the Texans at this point in, in life. Yes. So he doubled down on it. Ian Rappaport from Good Morning Football NFL Network, he said this morning on Twitter, Deshaun Watson has not asked for a trade, and the team hasn't said they'll trade him. However, teams are calling anyway. The Jets and the Dolphins have been discussed publicly, but don't dismiss the Panthers being in the mix. Now, in fairness, you only get like 240 characters in tweets. I'm sure he was going to mention the Vikings in this tweet Correct. and just ran out of characters after Panthers. <laughs> I mean, uh, and then Daniel Jeremiah uh, tweeted over the weekend, too. And I think this is more speculation, but he's also plugged into the league. If Watson becomes available via trade, the Jets should call. You could trade the number two overall pick this year, a first round pick next year and a first round pick in 2023. <laughs> By the way, the Jets have multiple first-round picks this year and next year, so they just have a lot of draft capital to pick from, um, and th- and that would probably get it done. So he's almost certainly going to get traded. I don't think you put the toothpaste back in the tube with this, and there's no. going to be all kinds of options in a bidding war. Right. And obviously, like if he wants to go play for the Jets and he has a no-trade clause, he can sort of dictate that, and the Jets have a lot more assets, so I'm not even saying the Vikings would be front-runners, but all I can think about this weekend was, my God, if you hadn't signed that Kirk Cousins, if you hadn't tried to smooth out that, let's smooth out that contract, let's lower the cap number and lock him in for sixty more million guaranteed. 
you'd have a wide open runway to at least make a push for one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. The franchise quarterback you've been looking for basically since Dante Culpepper blew out his knee. I opened the cupboard and saw him too, by the way. Just his face Dante. staring at me. No, Deshaun. Oh, Deshaun. Yeah. No, you see Dante. I see Dante. And to go back to Dante, and to go back, um, it's not an exact parallel, but I'll tell you what, the expectation that Childress had when he took the job in 2006 here, right, was that I'm going to have, you know, Dante's going to come back from the knee, he's going to be fine, and I'm going to have my franchise QB, and Dante said, you're going to pay me more or I'm gone, and I don't. And and so, so this is... A bit of a parallel in the fact that Deshaun is going to say you're going to trade me, and and, and the Texans are going to have to. Um, just quickly though, so I love I love where we are from a sports reckless speculation st- uh, standpoint. Sp- speaking of the term smoothing things out now, where you are now in this weird cycle where when a really good player asks to be traded, and by the way, he's going to be okay. You now have you now have uh, guys like Schefter and Jeremiah and Rappaport. Basically, they have to try to communicate with the trade truthers <laughs> by telling them by 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 like warming them up for no, this is going to happen, and you basically have to accept it. And perhaps if I tell you, you will accept it, right? Yeah. It's like it's like there's now this period of of tweets that have to go out with. Hey, look, I know that you believe that there's no way the Texans aren't going to trade him, but they're going to. And so since you're a trade truther, I'm going to have to essentially explain to you that this is coming. It's hilarious I know. now. I, well, and, like they're and all the, doing it. And this is like the NFL has largely just had its thumb on quarterbacks. Like it's it's kind of shocking how few top quarterbacks in their prime just become available for bidding wars. You know, just because the way that contracts are structured, you get a lump sum guarantee. Like if it's a five-year contract, you know, and this applies to almost everyone except Kirk Cousins, who got a fully guaranteed contract with the Vikings, a three-year deal, right? Mm-hmm. You get the guarantee money for the first two or three years, and then the guarantee money goes away, but you're still under contract for like $30 million if they And so, like, you never become an actual free agent as a quarterback until you're 40, basically, because they just keep... You just keep signing these contracts with front-loaded guarantees, and you keep chasing the guarantees. Um, and now I feel like Deshaun Watson might be opening up an era that's more like the NBA, where okay, he had a no-trade clause, he's highly paid, and he has looked around the room in Houston and said, "This is incompetence at best, and they lied. it's malpractice and deception." And you know, I, and I don't think we've gotten the full story, but. Dan Orlovsky came on Get Up this morning, and he he might have played for the Texans at one point, but he's plugged in to current players. And he said, there's certain things I cannot tell you on TV, hmm. but this is a lot worse behind the scenes than people think. And the way that the Houston Texans operate behind the scenes, I'm telling you that Deshaun Watson should absolutely flex his muscles and get out of there. And so we might be see, there might be more instances like this. But my question to you guys is, as it pertains to the Vikings, who appear to be either not in the mix at all for him or, you know, at best, maybe they pick up the phone and they're told, <laughs> sorry, like, we're not going to wait for you to clear Kirk's contract out and, like, you guys just aren't in a place to make this happen. How does it make you guys feel that they aren't in a place to make this happen if that, in, if that is indeed the way this plays out and it looks like it is? How does it make you feel that they can't make this happen right now? 
if this was if this was an isolated thing where I felt the rest of the Vikings strategy and how they approach roster construction now was fine, I think it would be um, my feeling would be slightly frustrating, but not much more than that. But it's not. I see the more I watch games of playoff teams now, right, mm-hmm. and the more I see the approach of teams, and and make no mistake. The league is shifting in thought processes across the board. Like, there are things changing as we speak right now. Um, and there are teams, some with uh, with older executives and coaches, some with young ones, who are changing as it changes because they know that that is the way to win. Um, I look at the Vikings now and the fact that they're not in position, the fact that they basically had this weird notion of if we just get Kirk's contract, if we just get the cap hit down for 2020, we'll be fine. And then I guess we can be competitive in 2020, which they really weren't. Um, The most adult word that I could possibly use to sum up my feeling is, is this. Flawed. I feel it's flawed. I feel it's flawed that... A great quarterback um, who potentially could alter your franchise for, let's say, eight to ten years is there. And you've got a good, a solid and good, but what I would describe as not great QB, and you are stuck. But the Vikings are largely stuck. I, the last two weeks, when I watch the best teams, Phil and Dex, have proved to me that how the Vikings are doing things at one time, much like the the old school twins at one time was pretty smart and astute, but it's changing and I don't see the Vikings adapting. And this is another example of the fact that they're not adapting potentially holds them back from making a splash move that could answer a lot of their problems in one trade. It'd be a major, it'd be a massive trade, but it would answer a lot of those problems. Yeah. How, how do you feel, Declan? You've been sitting here waiting for a franchise quarterback yeah. too. That they're not even really in a position to to make a serious phone call on this. It's frustrating. Uh, I understand why they had to extend Kirk to lower the cap hit for 2020, open up some cap space. But then when you really look at it, I mean, your main free agent piece last year was Michael Pierce. He opts out for the right reasons, by the way. It's not like he opts out because he did something wrong. He he opted out because there was a pandemic going on and he has underlying health conditions. Yep. But it's then it's just more icing on the cake of why the hell did we even do this extension? Because now you're mm-hmm. you could have been in the perfect position to at least acquire and make the phone call for Deshaun Watson. You yes. wouldn't have had to trade up the second round pick to get Unique and Gakway for six weeks. You'd have all the resources to do it. So honestly, it's just as frustrating uh, because I I would have been ready to move on from Kirk right now. We could be we could be having an, an unreal conversation, not just about Deshaun Watson, but of all the quarterbacks available in free agency and the draft or trade that the Vikings could be interested in. And as much as we love our reckless speculation, I could not imagine how much we could be talking about the next quarterback for the Vikings who could be at their disposal right now. Reckless speculation. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think like you, you nailed it there in that in retrospect now, lowering Kirk's cap number and then adding more guaranteed money for future years for future years in order to bring in a win now piece in Michael Pierce, you know, could they have foreseen the pandemic causing players to opt out? I mean, the pandemic was hitting around the time that NFL free agency was starting. And so maybe they should have had some more foresight to not put as many chips on the 2020 table as they did. Uh, but that's, you know, hindsight's 2020 on that front. They made a win now move to clear some cap space to get a guy who opted out. And as a result, they locked into Kirk Cousins for like 60 million guaranteed over 2021 and 2022. 
and they didn't make the playoffs after the win now move. So that blew up in their faces. And I think there's, I, I was just sort of writing down as Judd was talking, you know, in terms of being stuck. Judd used the word stuck. And I think when it comes to quarterbacks in the NFL, I think you have to be in th- one of three places as a franchise. And if you're not in one of these three places, then then you are stuck. And it is 100% self-inflicted. Place number one is you've drafted a young quarterback, ideally in the first round, you know, one that has a real chance to, to pan out. Not that all first-round quarterbacks pan out, but like you're making a real concerted effort at a franchise quarterback in the first round, a Josh Allen, a Lamar Jackson, wh- whoever that is, right? He doesn't make a lot of money. He's on a rookie-scale contract for five years, four or five years if you, if you exercise the fifth-year option, and you're seeing if he's the guy. So, and by the way, at any point during that stretch, like the Bears, if you decide after year three, he's not the guy, or year four, he's not the guy, he doesn't make a lot of money, and so you can just bring somebody else in. You can bring in Nick Foles, or you can, you know, whatever. You can bring in a Phillip Rivers or somebody, because you're not dedicating $30 million to that young quarterback. So, so, so position number one is you've got a young quarterback, and you're just trying to see if he becomes a franchise guy, all right? And the Vikings aren't in that position. Position number two is you got your franchise guy. He's like a top six or top seven quarterback. And because he's a top six, top seven quarterback, maybe even a Hall of Fame quarterback, it doesn't matter as much how much he makes. Obviously, you'd like to pay him less because then you can build your roster out. But like, it doesn't really matter how much Pat Mahomes makes. He's so good that he makes up for like your lack of a nickel cornerback or something, right? Like he's he's that good. Well, they're not really in that spot either. Like, Kirk had a really good season, but Kirk ain't what Tom Brady is at 43. He doesn't cover for people. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. He's not elevating, like, holes on your roster, right? Okay, well, what about the third position? I would say the third position should be if you don't have a young guy that you're trying to figure out and you don't have a stud, bona fide, potential Hall of Fame quarterback, then you should be in the transition bin, which is flexible contract, move off if necessary. The Childress years. Right, that, that's where they stayed. The transition for Rot. Okay, we'll get a year of Brett Favre over yeah, here. They paid him and for at, one year. At no Jeez. point did they lock in a non-elite yep. quarterback to like sixty million guaranteed. So the Vikings are not in any of those three bins. They are in non-elite good quarterback, but non-elite quarterback who makes a, too much money to move off without feeling a significant cap hurt. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they don't really get to choose who they want to play quarterback. Like Deshaun Watson being available to them really is predicated on them moving Kirk Cousins' contract first. It's a huge pain in the ass for everybody involved. And the problem is, in the Vikings' case, they're probably not even thinking in those terms at all. So I I just had an epiphany. I just had, I, I think that we could come up with at least five solid rules for the Mackey and Judd rules for franchise success. And this is true in every sport, okay? And I was going to start with one. One is acceptance, because acceptance is the key to life. You you have to accept where you are in your relationships, with your job, wherever you are in life. If you fight that, it's going to cause problems. So the acceptance of this is my lot in life, and I'm going to I'm then going to adjust accordingly from there. The second one, and this is where the Vikings to me come into play here and this is what holds them back from probably being a championship team they're a good team but not a championship team and that is this one foresee your fate so look at your fate 
where are, are you in life? And then adjust accordingly from there. And this is the one where the Vikings really, really screwed up for 2020. They didn't look at and say, you know what, Phil, two years ago we signed Kirk and we missed the playoffs, which, by the way, was a huge red flag. And then we made the playoffs and we won a playoff game and we got really excited. That's red flag, too. We got excited about one playoff win. So for 2020, we're not going to attempt to go back to Kirk and work his contract out to help our cap. We're going to make different moves. Uh, So the 2020 is Kirk's last year. We also, and this is another one, foresee your fate, okay? When I know that my head coach, his strength is cornerback play, and we just clean house of basically every starting type cornerback that we have, and we're going to bring in kids who, by the way, might be good, but this is a hard reset in the foresee your fate part of life. This is a, they're going to struggle, and that's okay, because we're going to struggle. Uh, not play as well as we possibly can and struggle, that's okay too. Think about that. Think about it if the Vikings a year ago had sat down and said, let's consider our fate, let's consider what we tried to do, and let's accept it and adjust instead of, and this is what the Vikings did, they fought it. They So they got caught up in what, what this should look like, which is, okay, uh, we won a playoff game, and now we're going to go from winning a playoff game to the next level, which has become Super Bowl contenders. And they and the pieces didn't add up. And pretty much everyone who was covering the team closely, right, on the beat level, whether it was Collar or Cronin, like everybody was saying, oh, like this isn't going to be a train wreck year, but this, like you're for sure taking a step back. You're for sure taking a step back. Yep. And then, and then when the digs thing happened, and by the way, like they didn't know that Justin Jefferson was going to be this good right away. The hope was that he could maybe turn into Stefan Diggs in a couple of years, but everything pointed toward, okay, you're 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 not going to win the Super Bowl in 2020, uh-huh. and so from that standpoint, and and you know what, if if they had realized that and they had decided, all right, let's let's let it ride with Kirk into that final year of the contract, it doesn't mean that you're saying goodbye to Kirk. All kinds of quarterbacks get toward the end of contracts and then go back to their same teams, right? So you could have gotten to this point where we are right now. And Kirk could still be an option for you yeah. in the game of musical chairs with quarterbacks, right? 100%. Now, he would be looking around the league and saying, oh, my God, boy, San Francisco's got an opening. New Orleans might have an opening. The Rams are begging for a new quarterback. I got options, too. And so his price might go up just because of a bidding war. But if 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 you had just rode out the last year of his contract because, you know, I don't know, we're, not, we're probably not going to win the Super Bowl in 2020. Let's just give ourselves a chance to reset the key places after the year is over, then you could have your choice between drafting a first-round quarterback, re-signing Kirk Cousins, trading for Deshaun Watson. You just have all these options, right? Or like buying low on a Sam Darnold. Or if, and I wouldn't do this, but if you thought that Jimmy Garoppolo or Jared Goff are like reclamation projects, right? You would have all kinds of options. And people are going to say, well, why are you guys, the defense was the problem this year. Okay, yeah, the defense was terrible this year. And, And Kirk Cousins, you know, had a good second half. I don't care that Kirk Cousins was like the ninth best quarterback in the NFL. I'm not going to celebrate the fact that Kirk Cousins was like the ninth best quarterback in the NFL. You know what the ninth best quarterback in the NFL gets you? Watching championship weekend on your couch at home with the rest of the teams that have quarterbacks that are ninth, 12th, 15th, 20th, 30th, etc. Yes. And if if you are basically 
examining 2020 and saying the defense was the problem, all right? View this from 10,000 feet, though, and answer this question. Do you think the way that the Vikings currently operate is going to win a championship? That's the question. That's the question. So the the question is not, boy, if the defense approves in 2021, this team can get back to the playoffs and it can maybe get to the divisional round, which was yesterday and wasn't that fun. That's not the question. The question is, does your team, your coaching staff, Spielman, do they operate on a plane that you says or that you say, you know what, championship type caliber plane? And the answer, if you watch these games closely, is they don't. Look at the chess that the top teams play. And the Vikings are playing really cool checkers. Really that, cool checkers. They've actually been pretty adept checkers players. Yeah, they're, yeah no, did. they're good. No, no. Double hey, but, jumps and everything. But, but, that, that, that's, <laughs> but that's the problem in this town. This is the problem. We are, we are so in love with, they're pretty good. Like we fall in love with good. Good is not great. We why don't we have championships in the men's major sports here? Because we're good at chess. Because we're good at, well, right. we're good at checkers. Because and the championship celebrate? games are played in chess form. Parisian suitor sign. This is going to be great during the playoffs. We celebrate that. We celebrate um, the Vikings are back in the playoffs. Ain't that great? Oh, they beat the Saints. Isn't that great? You don't get to be great until you are on a plane with the teams and the thinking. That's the important thing here. The thought process. So, so like, this is never about, to me, Phil, a, a straight rip on Cousins. Now, after games at times, it definitely is. But when we're talking about the philosophical approach to what the Minnesota Vikings do and how they try and execute things, this is a discussion about how do you get to the top of that mountain? And the Vikings thinking, which is why I, I propose that we come up with the Mackey and Judd rules for franchise success, because those are the rules that are going to define championships. Mm-hmm. I also think, just to add a bow on what you're saying, because I, I I don't know, I can't tell if this would be more compelling if we were like disagreeing on this. Like we both agree 100 percent on this that we're tired, we're sick of good, <laughs> we're sick of good. In the case of the Minnesota Vikings, I'm not going to praise and commend good. Well, the the Vikings were 11th in points offensively. The Chiefs were number one. Like the Bills were number two. I don't. I don't give a rip about tenth or fifth. Like I want number one. That's what I'm talking about here. And so we just need to get over this fear of well, what if we lose good? What if good turns to bad? Okay, it's all the same to me at this point. Now I don't want bad for like ten years, but I feel like I feel like the Wilf ownership is competent enough as professional sports owners. Yep. We're not talking about a Houston situation here or a Cleveland Brown situation. Like, that's a good ownership group that's not going to let a couple bad seasons of, oh, man, well, we took a step back and it kind of spiraled on us. That's not going to turn into, like, 15 years of Timberwolves basketball, right? Unless you think the Wilfs are Glenn Taylor or if you think the Wilfs are Jimmy Haslam. I don't. So I don't fear, well, what if we, oh, you can't give up good. No, good is the enemy of great. Cliche, but it's true in this case, and I'm just sick of it. And it disappoints me that Deshaun Watson's going to go play for the Jets. Like the the Jets have put themselves in a position by being terrible for years and years, but they're just going to luck box their way into getting this franchise quarterback. And a team like the Vikings could use a guy like Deshaun Watson to go from good to great to win their first Super Bowl, and they can't because they've locked in too good 
at quarterback. So the, the key yeah. is is this: unless you you basically have a Hall of Fame QB, it's time for open quarterback marriages. Yes. Is it, you know what, it's Kirk, great for them Kirk, too. if you, you, you want to go spend the night with the Niners, we're fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to go spend the night with McVay and the Rams, knock yourself out. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, what if Kirk gets away? That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> you know, you know, I gave Kirk permission to go hang out yeah. at the neighbors. <laughs> it's, a, it's a key party with quarterbacks. <laughs> it's, a key, it's a 1970s key party with quarterbacks. Mackie and John on scorenorth.com and the Score North app. Let's, let's dive into statements here, boys. Statements from the weekend. Things you observed in football, in life, football. in Minnesota sports. Judd Zolgab, we'll start with you. All right. A lot of things to get to. So much football. So much Mm -hmm. football. I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off immediately with statement one and say Drew Brees, this is sad, Drew Brees violated the Zolgadian rule of sticking around one year too long. (laughs) And I understand that he can beat up on bad teams still, and I, I get all that, but I, that... When they beat the crap out of the Vikings on Christmas Day, I watched that game and I thought to myself, some of those passes are fluttering a little bit. This I don't really like this. <laughs> yeah, and Kamara scored 14 and, touchdowns exactly. in that game. And-, and then and then I sat down for the entirety of yesterday's game and watched that. Um, and I just said, really? So this is my lasting impression now. Thanks a lot, Drew. I mean, Would you- they have won that game if Jameis Winston started? They would have given themselves a chance because he, he could throw the deep ball. Like, I think he probably would have screwed the pooch, but I'm not quite sure about that. And, of course, the, you know, people are going to be like, well, yeah, he would have thrown three picks. I mean, Drew Brees threw picks. Oh, exactly game, so. right. And, but, I mean, the past, I mean, Phil, trying to watch trying to watch him throw the ball by now is just sad. I mean, there there is zero zip. There is zero arm strength left. Um, the brain is, The brain is still very much there. And he can process exactly what he wants to do and what he could do for years. But the will to do it and the actual physical execution is long gone. I just thought, you know what, this is just another in a long line of great players to add to the Zolgad bin of, man, I wish wish that you had taken the David Ortiz route and went out with a really nice year. Watching that was, it was sad. You know what the most the the most depressing, insulting thing for Drew Brees was yesterday? It wasn't the game-changing interception toward the end. Uh, You know, it wasn't the fact that he had this sort of sad walk off the field and was blowing kisses to the handful of fans that were there. Yep. I don't know if you guys saw the video from James Palmer, I think, NFL Network. So James was covering the game, and he was... Filming Tom Brady and Drew Brees oh, yeah. after they had gotten done with all their post game stuff, they came back out in their street clothes, and Drew Brees' wife and kids were on the field. Yep. And so the couple, you know, a couple guys who are in their forties are just probably talking about Drew Brees' career. Tom Brady's got a football, and they're probably standing at like the ten fifteen yard line, and one of Drew Brees' kids <laughs> runs a fade awesome. route toward the back pylon. It makes a nice catch. And, and one of his other kids was playing defense, and Tom Brady drops back and throws an absolute dime, just a perfect drop in the bucket to Drew Brees' kid in the back of the end zone, two feet in for a touchdown, and then goes back to talking to Drew Brees. Tom Brady is older. 
He looks younger, and he's throwing dimes to Drew Brees' kids in the back of the end zone. He's got and more Brees hair. can't even throw the ball 10 yards down the field. <laughs> he's got more hair than Drew Brees. Yeah, no. It, it, and then Tom turned sad. around and gave Drew Brees' wife a big kiss yeah. on the lips what, and walked what out. What if Drew Brees' wife had left with Brady? <laughs> what if she had walked out with Brady? See ya, see, see ya, ya Drew and the kids. We'll be in touch. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to Tampa. Bye. Bye. Football. I love you. <laughs> All right, Declan, you're next. Uh, My first one is the Furious Rallies are back. The Minnesota Wild rallied again on Saturday night for uh, another overtime winner after playing basically putrid hockey for the first, what, Judd, 45 minutes of that game. Even even the first opening shift of the third period wasn't looking too too kind for them. And then they rally Marcus Johansson, who has just been god-awful throughout the last, up until that overtime shift. He's been terrible, and then totally redeems himself with a overtime winner. And the Wild are now two and zero on the season. Look out, West Division, because the Wild are coming. So I remember it being a topic, even like like a handful of years ago, that in overtime, it was always just because of politics. You always start with. Like Miko Koivu would be out there in overtime sometimes. Yeah, with Breezy and Suter. Yeah, you'd want your you'd want the your Clydesdales. Your veteran. <laughs> the Clydesdales would be clumping out there. Hey, where'd that guy go? The Kentucky Derby, and you got three Clydesdales running, and uh, and now it seems like so. Zach Parisi hasn't even has he not played in overtime in either of these two games? Um, no, no, because they they not, scored uh, qu- quickly in the first one, and then I, I actually. <laughs> charted the co- combinations in OT Classic on Saturday, yeah. and he did not play. A suitor played once, and a Breezy never touched the ice. Interesting. In the entire OT, which I believe Dex went pretty long. I think that, yeah, that they were late the when Johansson scored. So, no, Zach was not in the rotation for the overtime. Speed is the, isn't, yes. isn't it fair to say that speed yes, more than anything absolutely. else, right? Yes. Three on three. Speed, speed it's, it's two things. It's your speed and ability to possess the puck. Yeah, Those are your absolutely two key things. The the defense is out the question here. We're, we're, you're trying to end the game. So we are yep. going to we are going to create a three on three situation. If that means you're having only one wave players, that is totally okay because Fial and Kaprizov are gonna fly up and down the ice. Even Johansson too can fly up and down the ice. So yeah. so were there also I also feel like there were times at Different points in the last few years where they would have like two defensemen and a forward out there in overtime too. It wasn't good, okay? Yeah, <laughs> they they've won. Def- yeah, Brodeen and Spurgeon out with with Miko. It would be awful. <laughs> so e- each of the last God, two dude. years, they won. In each year, they won three overtime games total. In each uh, year, they have won two overtime games so far. Two games. What do you guys make of this? You guys were talking before the show that their schedule is pretty weak coming out of the gate here. So, like, they could rack up some wins. How good do you think they are, independent of a potential week schedule, just watching the first two games and seeing that, okay, okay, Kaprizov is the real deal. This guy's going to make an impact. There. How good do you think they are? Judd. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they play the Sharks, the Kings, the Ducks, or the Coyotes, I think they're pretty good. Uh, once they play the other three teams in the division, which are the Blues, the Golden Knights, and the Avs, I think it's going to be difficult they they i can't say this enough and it's going to be uh at some point in time a broken record on my part they don't have a center like they don't have a guy they, they might not have a second line guy <laughs> they don't have a top line guy without question uh benino erickson go down that Green line way. those guys are third line guys and they're fine there 
But Phil, they don't. They ascend. They essentially are going to try to beat teams with, without anything that resembles an ace pitcher. How, yeah. how about that? Yeah. Like they're gonna. It's it's going to be in that sense. It's going to be the 2012 Twins. Yeah, and if that's the Just case, then slop. you need to be special in other areas. Yeah, it's basically it's basically having two elite relievers in Kaprizov and Fiala, and no starting pitching. Yeah. That's kind of like what it is. Basically, you have two flamethrowers who are going to carry you through high leverage situations, but. If you can't get to the high leverage situation, you're you're going to be in trouble. So they really should comparison. be doing anything and everything in the next like twelve months to find a top line center. I, I right? think you do it now. I think and the deadline I believe is in March. I don't know if it's maybe the late trade February. deadline. I yeah, think I it might be. I think it might be early yeah, April early. this year. Um, they've changed, but it. there is a trade deadline, and you might have to kick the tires on it. Football. It depends if you think you're good enough, and I don't know if they are. That's the question. Yeah. Uh, well, they've at least thrown a, a fun little jolt into the winter sports season. God knows so. we need something in this yep. town. All right. Well, actually, good segue because we have something else. The Gopher basketball team. I'm going to say the Gopher basketball team is as good now as it's been under Richard Pitino in, I believe, seven years. Which which team? The, the one that plays at home or the one that plays on the road? And I get they've gotten smoked in four road games. It's super weird. Um, awful. But they just played nine consecutive games against teams that are guaranteed to go to the NCAA tournament. Eight conference games, and then the game against St. Louis. St. Louis is going to the, to the NCAA tournament, too. And they finished five and four in those games. Now, as Judd said, like three of the losses, or maybe all of the losses, I think it was like three of them, were road blowouts. And at some point, you're going to have to fix that. What's weird is they don't have the barn advantage like you normally would. Like, they're winning these games at home, and it's not like... Sometimes it feels like the atmosphere and fans being right on top of the players, and it just it, it can psych opposing teams out. Well, it's not like there's a bunch of noise being made, so they're just playing well at home. But they've got, like, Marcus Carr can get a shot whenever he wants to. So Liam Robbins is just apparently just a sniper three-point shooter from the top of the key and just daggers And if he teams. decides he wants to play hard, he's really good, but there's times where he gets <laughs> blown off the ball. Like, that that confuses me. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. There, well, I also saw a note today, too. So he he transferred from Drake, and Drake is like 13-0 to start the season, and yes. someone's speculating, what if he had stayed at Drake? Like, Drake right. would be like a Final Four uh, you know, mid-major team. But, but the Gophers, I don't think anyone really expected anything big going into the season and because they have so many transfer players and young players that no one's watched before it's like Marcus Carr and Gabe Kalsher are like the two players anyone has heard of on this team going into the year and uh and they're super fun to watch they play at a ridiculously fast pace when they want to and I think Marcus Carr is one of the most exciting players in the last like 15 years ago for basketball so super fun to watch but don't get beat by 30 on the road. I will agree with you on that. So in the four uh, games at home that they've won, average margin of victory for the Gophers in the Big Ten, I should say, four games, 16 and one-half points, okay? No. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they they've, killed Michigan yesterday. They've they have lost, of course, all four Big Ten games that they've played on the road. Average margin of defeat, 19.8 points. Like, think about that swing. Yeah, it's aggressive. Uh, I'm looking up the rankings here, too. So college hoops rankings, let's see, week eight. I think this is week eight. Gonzaga number one. This is the AP. Gophers. Has this changed? No, they're 23rd. This is not. I feel like this hasn't changed yet today. They're 19th in the coaches poll. The Big Ten. Let's go off the coaches poll here. Uh, Michigan fifth. Let's count all the Big Ten teams. Michigan fifth. Iowa eighth. Wisconsin ninth. Illinois 13th. Minnesota 19th. 
And then uh, that's looks like that's it. There's like Ohio State is the next team out, and then Rutgers is like two or three teams out. So they've mm-hmm. got half the conference is knocking on the door of of top twenty five. It's fun to watch football. So this comes from a move that now that the Saints have been eliminated from the playoffs, I think it's going to happen in the next day or two. And this is the most football-y football move by this football team of all time. The hiring of Dan Campbell, when it's announced, will be the most Lions hire ever. The most li- Dan Campbell. Who Come fu- on! Football! Barbed wire tattoo guy. Who, if I recall, so was in charge of, I believe he got the interim job, if I'm not mistaken, with the Dolphins back a few years. He did. And and yeah. he was Dan Campbell. I'm going to bring it to, I'm going to bring you the brutal truth about our football team, and then we're going to go lift weights and watch 1980s National Football League games with big shoulder pads on, because my name's Dan Campbell. Neck rolls for honest everybody. To God, okay, this guy might be good, but if you're the Lions, what are you doing? This is the most Lions hire of all time. <laughs> Dan, I, like, like of all of the guys Guys that you could have gone and talked to and hired, right? Uh, uh, cerebral, young, old, different from Patricia. You hire the meatheady meathead hire. Like what? What the hell? You're supposed to be changing your culture, and you go with Dan Campbell, who I guarantee you is going to be slamming his headphones on the sidelines on week one, throwing his clipboard and telling the Lions, this is how Dan Campbell plays football. I feel like usually what happens is you fire one type of coach, and then you go to the complete opposite, right? That happens almost all the time. That's 100% right. Yes, It kind of feels like the Lions, they know that they whiffed on the defensive-minded, hard-nosed guy, and they decided, let's just run that back. Back again. Let's actually try that again. Get the the, the the tough-minded guy with barbed wire tattoos. Why not get the cerebral guy that can take Matt Stafford to the next level? I, I don't know. But you know what? As long as the Lions are making idiot decisions, it's good for the Vikings. It's true. Because it's just a guaranteed two-game. It should be anyways. A guaranteed two wins on your schedule. Yeah. So go go look up Campbell. Dan Campbell during his playing days, too. He had like the long Fabio blonde oh, hair. Yeah. The, the barbed wire tattoos. <laughs> he fits in perfect. Man, good luck to the Lions. Football. (laughs) All right, second statement. It's another wild one. It's shots on goals don't really matter, but high danger chances do. Wow. So we're going to get analytical. We're going to get nerdy here. Feeling dangerous this morning. Yeah, I do. Very cerebral. Uh, So high danger chances created. The Minnesota Wild have the best high danger chances created percentage in the NHL, meaning they are creating. Chances, and they're also allowing the lowest amount of high-danger chances. So through two games, small sample size, but 76% of high-danger chances created. The Minnesota Wild lead the NHL through those first two games. So Kaprizov and Fiala, who are creating a ton of traffic in front of the net, right in front of the goalie, that's a high-danger percentage situation. On the back end of the defense for Minnesota, which is their bread and butter, their defense is unbelievable, they have not allowed high-danger chances to go in front of Cam Talbot Therefore, they aren't. They're, they're making it easier on their goaltender. So I don't know if that formula is going to work long term. But Fiala and Kaprizov, what they're able to do, creating high danger chances right now, it's noticeable. You also see it on the ice. This isn't just like oh, a nerd stat, and I don't match. Doesn't match the eye test. If you've watched the Wild through two games, it's those two players literally creating so much traffic in front of the net, and it's resulting in goals. What's the number one skill set offensively in hockey to get to the high danger areas? Is it is it just having guys who can control the puck through traffic get? Because obviously the 
opposing team is trying to prevent you from skating with the puck into those areas right. and passing the puck into those areas, right? So you have to just have guys who are skilled enough to get to those areas. Yeah, yeah I, I'd say it's three things. It's one, speed, two, an ability to be elusive, and three, our favorite thing, grit. Because you're, you're going to get beat up there. For yeah. like That becomes the question. Are you talented and gutsy? Because if you, if you get to the places that Dex is talking about, you're going to get your ass kicked eventually. And, and at that point in time, do you stay there or do you say, I'm out? So I, Because, yes, it takes skill to get there, but it takes grits and gut to stay there. I like it. I like it. Um, I'm a big – I love, like, things like that, that that sort of translate to what should I be watching for when I'm watching a wild game? And I think high danger – and eliminating high danger defensively is, is something fun to watch. But I'm also a stat nerd like Declan. So. Football. Yeah. All right, next statement. Andy Reid has grapefruits <laughs> the size of a blimp. Yes. Last night. Yes. Backup quarterback Chad Henney comes in because Pat Mahomes was seeing stars. And I, it sounds like it's not as bad as maybe people thought right away when he was being helped up the field. And, Hopefully he can play this weekend because, oh, he'll play. man, that will be fun if we get he that better, matchup. He, he better play. So backup quarterback Chad Henney comes in. Fourth down and one. Season's on the line. You could just punt and make – you've gotten a couple stops on Baker Mayfield. You know, you could just punt the ball and make Baker Mayfield go, what, 90 yards with no timeouts and like a minute to go, mm-hmm. and he's got to score a touchdown. That would be what the Vikings do, right? Let's just trust our defense, and let's just punt the ball and – well, knowing the Vikings special teams, probably get the punt blocked or something and come back the other way. But not Andy Reid, not grapefruits the size of blimp Andy Reid. He calls a pass play. The geniusness, though, because it felt like one of those classic situations where you're just going to fake like you're going to run a play and then you're going to let the play clock like run Tony out. Like Tony said. Yep. Tony Romo there's was no like, there's no here, chance. Jim. No chance. Look at the body language. <laughs> and, and, they, and instead, they made a concerted effort. They've practiced this. They went up there. Trying to show body language of, like, we're not going to run a play, right? It was like double reverse psychology. <laughs> With your backup quarterback, and he calls a pass. Also, I know that the, the interception in the end zone was just a terrible play call and throw all around. But it also shows you Andy Reid was not messing around yesterday. He's like, I don't care who my quarterback is. We're throwing deep. We're throwing on fourth down. And we're not going to give the ball back to these guys. We're going to end this game because, damn it, I don't care what you think. I loved it. I think it's great. And I love the aggressive play calling. So. And and there are, you know, if you look at this, how many coaches out there who do care, who think, oh, man, if, if this call goes wrong, the media is going to hammer me and my owner will read it right and yeah. then it's going to be problems. Andy Reid, I, I think, went through so much in, in his first job in Philly that he is, as I told you off the air, Phil Mackey, out of bleeps. He is out of bleeps. And he's he got, he's got his title. You think. He's got his title. Yep. He's got his legacy. And now he's the only thing that matters to him now is I want to win more Super Bowls. Yep. Yeah. So I'm going to be hyper aggressive and just push the needle and win Super Bowls. And there it is. If they pump that ball back to Cleveland, I don't know that it's a guarantee that Cleveland gets gets in a position to win the game, but it's it's much more of like a white knuckle ride. Why, also, if, if why would Cleveland punt to them is my question the first time. Yeah, so somebody I, I follow a couple of those like fourth down punt bots on Twitter, oh, yeah. and one of them, one of them said, or somebody who like runs one that has like a sort of a human element to their tweets, 
said, our model shows that fourth and eight, you should go for it. Fourth and nine is like really borderline here. So, but the time, the time left, which was four minutes, four twenty-three left. And you had one time out, and you, yes, exactly right, yeah. exactly right. Fourth and nine. Now it's, I get it, at your thirty-two. So that's certainly not optimal. But four twenty-three left. See, I and think you've got to know that Reed might do something. I think if Mahomes was still the quarterback, I think they for yeah. sure go for it. One hundred percent. I think they thought. Boy, with Chad Henney, they're just going to run the ball, and we'll just you we'll just stop it. And, and Andy Reid, well, they did get super lucky on that third and fourteen, and Chad Henney saw daylight. I mean, th- that's what put him in position to go for it on fourth and one. You know, if he gets if he gets stopped five yards short of the line of scrimmage there, then they do punt. So Cleveland got a little unlucky there, but I don't know. Maybe they should should have put a spy on Chad Henney. Maybe that's the move. <laughs> Football. Off that same game, and I, I think. We've actually had this conversation on Mackie and Judd maybe two or three years back, but it's worth having the conversation again. The fumbling out of the end zone rule, Ugh. which bit the Browns in the ass, okay, which gave, which went from being close to a Browns touchdown to Chiefs ball first and 10 on the Browns or on their own 20, I'm sorry is one of the stupidest, most unexplainable rules that you can possibly have. So you're telling me that if if the guy who fumbled the ball, I believe his name was Richard Higgins, if he had fumbled the ball out of bounds at the three-yard line for Casey, that is then the ball uh, maintains Brown's possession at the three. Yes. But because he fumbled it while trying to reach for the pylon and it went around the pylon and out of bounds, that is change of possession, Kansas City ball at their 20. This rule makes well, no sense. Uh, what do you mean? I, I, I tweeted out something. What do you mean? Pe- a lot of people saying, well, you got to know the rule. You that's what I guess. You, you can't, you can't that's re- what I kept can't, getting can't back that. The rule's the rule. No, it's a stupid rule, and I've been saying it for years, and I don't care who won that game. How is that? How do we suddenly change possession because of where the ball leaves the field of play? It's a super weird loophole. It doesn't make any sense. Why don't they just make it a blanket rule? If you're on offense and you fumble the ball forward... The ball just and and, yes. and the opposing team doesn't recover. Yes, the ball just comes back to the spot of the fumble, which is where it is for for one hundred yards. Yes, and then we decide. But if it, but like I just don't get it because so if the ball works its way around the pylon basically and goes out of bounds, that changes the possession. It's super weird. Couldn't they also have a rule? I don't get it. I, I would just say, listen, any offensive fumble, the ball the ball can't be advanced. If you recover sure. it 40 yards down the field because it just got kicked and kicked, great. Go back to where, right? But if, they, but if they aren't going to just do the logical thing, which is that, why don't they say, listen, this is this sucks for you. If you started that play at the 20-yard line, this sucks. But like, if you fumble out of the end zone, the ball goes back to the original line of scrimmage, and you get the ball back. But it's it's like the play never happened. You should happened. not lose the ball. No. I agree. And by the way, not only do you lose the ball, but the opposing team, instead of having the ball like in the shadow of their own end zone, they just get to take it out to the twenty. Right. What? So it's dumb. absolutely stupid. And and so the flaw the flaw to me is this because fans will say, well, Belichick tells his guys to not reach the ball out there because if it goes out, it, it's okay. Do you guys recall a Viking Packer game at the Metrodome years ago? Um, and I believe Robert Ferguson caught a deep pass 
and he was for, for which team for the for the Vikings, uh, and he was at like the twenty or fifteen, and he is going into the end zone, and the Packer cornerback makes a nice play and gets behind him and punches the ball out. Mm-hmm. So the ball starts to roll at let's say the twenty. It starts to roll and it's rolling. Literally, if that ball had taken a left turn a bit and gone out, out of bounds at the eight. It's Vikings ball at the eight. Yes. I believe. But it didn't. It went through the end zone and out of bounds. Yeah. And the ball went to Green Bay. <laughs> like, that's an art. What? Why? It's super weird. Like, what are you doing? No, it doesn't make any sense. Just change the rule. And like, well, hey, and, and that's a different type of play because that was kind of a fluke, right? But like, but I mean, but that's whole, what like, can happen. Don't reach. Then don't reach the ball out. Why? Like, why? Why should we be? Why are we so nuanced with? Well, if, don't reach the well, ball out because a dumb rule might bite you in the ass. Just change the rule. And this change league, it. week after week, year after year, right, emphasizes offense. We want scoring. We want scoring. But don't try and score because yeah. if you fumble, <laughs> you're screwed. Exactly. Football. All right, my final statement, football one. Um, I tweeted this out yesterday, too, or I believe on Saturday after the after the Bills game. You can root for Stefan Diggs and be thankful for Justin Jefferson. I, I, I don't understand why we have to have this such animosity towards Stefan Diggs. I, he's having fun out there. He's elevating another franchise, which was just as, as gone through heartbreak and as much pain as the Vikings have in the Buffalo Bills. I'm enjoying watching Stefan Diggs ball out. I mean, the last, like, five games, he's going for over 100 yards. He's made Josh Allen look like a, a franchise game-changing quarterback. I don't know why you wouldn't want to root for someone like that. I know his exit was a little messy. Do you want to go back and, and re, maybe, does he even want to go back and redo some of the things that he had to do to get out of here? Probably. Maybe he does. The way he acted was pretty childish. I get that. But I'm thoroughly enjoying watching Stefan Diggs ball out. And if Mahomes is indeed healthy, which I'm guessing he'll be, that's going to be one of the most fun championship games I think we're ever going to see. I'm really excited Dude, for it. Some of, some of it's Josh Allen just like getting into year three and and improving on his own, but... His completion percentage has gone up like 10% from last year. Yeah, he was not an accurate Ridiculous. passer. Ridiculous. And he's not the most accurate sniper passer now, but True. but Stefan Diggs can, he Diggs, can he loves make him, anyone man. look really accurate. He absolutely loves that, that, that guy. Um, Dex is exactly right. Like, it's great to watch. And by the way, again, if you are a Viking fan, take notes. Diggs' means to get get out probably was not the best, but he was exactly right. Like, watch him now. Correct. Watch him now. That could have been that could have been him here, or it could be Jefferson here. Like, that's what you could have. Yep. His main point, and he wasn't super public. Like, he he didn't lay this all out publicly because he wanted to sort of keep some of this internal. Now, obviously, his feelings leaked out publicly because he skipped practice for a couple days, and I wasn't in love with some of that. But his main point wasn't, I need the ball more, throw me the damn ball, Keyshawn Johnson, Terrell Owens, etc. There might be a little of that because he definitely wants to maximize his own personal value as a football player. Mm -hmm. But in his mind, it was, we as a team aren't maximizing our ability to score points offensively. And what you're watching in Buffalo for a million different reasons and I get that they only scored. This is another thing. Like, well, high octane offense. They scored ten offensive points in that game. It was windy. It was cold. Baltimore scored three. Like, it was a low scoring climate. The Bills were the second highest scoring team in the NFL this year, in large part because they throw the damn ball and they throw it much like the Chiefs in situations where most teams 
get all conservative and try to milk clock and establish the run and trust their defense. And the Bills and the Chiefs are like, screw that. We're throwing to these weapons. And we got these mobile, dynamic quarterbacks. This is going to be great. And Stefan Diggs, he wanted that. He chased it. He got it. And in return, the Vikings also got a great end on, uh, of the deal here. Like, Justin Jefferson might be better. And they got additional but resources. use him like that. Agreed. Like, that's the thing now. Learn your lesson. Yep. Uh, and last statement here. As long as Mahomes comes back, there isn't one bad potential Super Bowl matchup. Mm-hmm. I mean, the wor- the worst one might be yep. like, I don't know, Rodgers versus Josh Allen. Like, that's probably a couple of, like, really small markets. But that's still an awesome Super Bowl. If we get Bills versus Packers and it's Rodgers and Josh Allen and it's Devonta Adams and Stefan Diggs and you got one franchise that is looking to win its first Super Bowl ever and then you got another one that's trying to get Aaron Rodgers, you know, another one on his mantle. I mean, there's that's the worst storyline. And then you've got these other ones like Brady versus Mahomes, um, even Brady versus Rodgers in the championship game. So I'm super pumped for this weekend, and whoever winds up winning, it's going to be a must-watch Super Bowl. So what? what's ideal? Kansas City, probably. I, I like the Bills, but Kansas City's probably ideal from my, my end. I mean, Mahomes-Brady. I, I got You know what? I'm sorry. For this year, I got to go Packers-Chiefs. Yeah. Rodgers-Mahomes to me. Oh, that could be classic. We should do a Mount Rushmore ranking this week of the of the four best potential matchups. There could be four, right? I mean, I don't think there would be more than four. So like, we could we should break all four of them. Let's actually do a segment where Declan just, just tries to figure out the math, math. on how many Declan potential matchups math. there are. Yeah. Let's Declan add a potential fifth team two decks. Yes. Just Let's throw another team in just to <laughs> screw team. with your head. Triple threat. Triple Let's... threat Super Bowl. <laughs> Let's throw in yes. the um uh That's the, the Colts the music. Oh, oh my god. god. Let's say the Jets could make it. The Jets have to shut Watson. What the, the hell Drew Brees doing here? <laughs> Drew Brees Drew Brees in that noodle arm. I get that thing out of here. But he's got a chair. Football. Get that thing out of here. Oh, it's a rocking chair. Tom Brady stole his wife. Get them out of here. What? Oh my oh, god. All, good. all right. Those are your those are your Mackie and Judd statements here. And uh, we do them every Monday, and we bounce around, as you can see. So, <laughs> Mackie and Judd on ScoreNorth.com and the Score North app. Woo! All right. Uh, every Monday on the show, and, and I think we're going to just do this throughout uh, the rest of the year until we get loaded up again on football season next year. But, you know, now that football season is winding down, we have a little more time to watch other things and to catch up on other shows and we're very eclectic, well-cultured people. You know, like I watch a lot of Netflix and documentaries. Declan watches all kinds of crazy stuff. Judd watches a lot of NHL Network. So you talk about eclectic. We've always got stuff to share Jamie with you Hirsch, guys. Mike Rupp. <laughs> Mike Rupp. Damn right I'm eclectic. <laughs> so let's, let's make a couple laps around the room here. Uh, what are we watching this week of January 18th, 2021, Declan? Uh, last night I got right into the uh, Tiger Woods documentary. Uh, th- wow. This is some pretty crazy stuff. And I know his agent put out a thing like right after the first one aired. Because la- this is now, it's a two-part series. Part two launched last night. I did not catch part one when it launched last weekend. And his agent put out a thing immediately saying, you know, this is all salacious. This is all untrue. Another t- attempt to smear Tiger Woods. And look, there might I be some the, of that. People, like, there's been attempts to smear Tiger Woods. So it's based he admitted off- to everything that happened like 11 years ago. Exactly. Yeah, Perkins tried to smear him. So it's Embers. based off a book that was written two years ago about 
about this whole situation. Yeah, the Armin Katayan book. So, so he cited, the agent cited that too. However, um, it is fascinating. So the first part of the, of the doc is mostly just about his upbringing, his rise through the first Grand Slam, um, and then also yeah, his personal life in high school. And, and like one of the main characters who's being interviewed in the vignettes is, is, uh, is Dina. Dina was like Tiger Woods' first high school girlfriend, Dina Gravel. And okay. it just like shows you, she was like, saw this compassionate side of Tiger, like this wholesome kid, not like this uber hyper focused machine that all I have to do is focus on golf, golf, golf. And I won't, I, this is even a spoiler. I think this is like what was the, one of the craziest parts of the whole doc is there's a, one part where uh, like Tiger was in high school, like, cause he did Dina for like three years throughout like the majority of high school. And Tiger like slept over at his house and he lied to his parents about it. Like every other high school kid did. At least everyone attempted to do Tiger that. Tiger slept over at her house? Yeah, at her house when they were in high school. And his parents figured out. His parents were obviously upset, but took it to this insane another level. And Tiger had to write her a letter, basically breaking up with her. And she still has the letter, by the way. This what? wasn't just a paraphrase. Oh, she I shows the letter. Sucker. She shows the letter and she says, it's in my best interest from my family side and my personal side to never talk to you again what? and breaks up with her. His old man was, what? yeah. And she was that like, all, all I wanted was just to like, I wanted him to say it. Cause I knew it. His parents basically brainwashed him to say this. Cause there's videos too. There's like home videos of like tiger at her house, like dancing and having a good time and like being like kind of not tiger woods, like just being a normal 16 year old oh goofy God, kid. Dude. And she even touches on like when he came over to my house, it was a completely different tiger. He was loose. He was he liked to have fun. He was joking. He smiled, and it's it's insane, dude. It, it, it's ninety minutes long. The second one's also ninety minutes. I started dozing how many off. how many parts? Two. I think it's just so it's two. just two parts. It's just, just two parts. So it's it's a total of three hours combined, but each episode's okay. ninety minutes. Nice. Oh so, my so god! So the first part is his rise in in his, his youth and through the first Grand Slam. The second part is where his dad dies and things spiral out of control, the divorce from Elon. Elon's also involved in the second documentary. And so they, I'm so they interview excited. Elon in this thing. Apparently. Yeah. They, they show up, they, they show a, a little vignette right at the end of the done, first. She couldn't have, have uh, done that for free, right? Oh God, no, I got, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how don't HBO know, operates. Yeah. Stevie Williams is involved in it. He's being, he's interviewed nice. a lot. Our tiger and Steve Williams. I should know this. I'm the tiger guy yeah. and I don't have HBO max right now, but I, this will cause me to get HBO max. Um, are Tiger and Steve Williams on good terms? I think. Like, I think they Steve are. Steve Williams still caddies once in a while. Yeah, I think they're on good terms. So there's also there's one other guy, and I forget his name off the top of my head, and you might know him, but he he was like, he was Earl Woods' like best friend, and like also his like Tiger's coach growing up, and he tells this story, and he even goes, he like he has to pause and says he's not gonna like when I'm gonna tell you, like I I, I need a minute here, I gotta compose myself. Tiger's not gonna like this. He even the quote is, "I'm really sorry, champ, for what I'm about to say." What? And he goes into detail about when he was, when Earl was training Tiger on the course as a young kid, Earl used to bring this Winnebago around to like the golf course. I think the Naval Academy golf course where he learned basically to play golf. And Earl Woods would basically facilitate and get attractive women to go in the Winnebago with them to have a couple drinks. And that basically, he basically said, Tiger seeing that as a, as a young kid and as a young adult going into adulthood set him up for failure because he saw his father was unfaithful, foreshadowing to what happens to Tiger Woods in the late 2000s. Wow, it's okay. mind-blowing, dude. This sounds gr- I, really It's really good. I need to see this. So, okay, so many questions of this. Would you? So Tiger Woods has a net worth of $800 million, according to Forbes. And I, th- I think that's after. I don't know how they had to split that with him and Elon, but it, 
He's got a net worth of $800 million. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most successful athletes in American history. He's famous, right? Yep. Would you guys give up everything that he gave up? So basically, like, any semblance of a normal childhood, um, a marriage, like, train wrecks. His image was trash for years and years. I think it's he's repaired it now, right? Would you guys give up all of those things or have all of those stains to have what he ultimately has in the end in his mid-40s, which is a ton of money and fame and, you know, in terms of, like, professional success, you know, more than anybody? The adult side, I, I would. The problem is the childhood <laughs> side. Because right. if, if you get screwed up as a kid, you're basically screwed up for life, potentially. So I actually, I, I think going through what he did as an adult could be doable to end up with as much as he certainly has. But I don't think it would be worth it to have a childhood that was probably miserable. Like that Man. would be, that would be so dysfunctional. There was one last part. There is, there's another situation too with this Naval Academy guy, Earl Woods' best friend, where he taught him basically, he taught them hypnosis as a kid to like basically hyper focus when he's golfing. So that's Earl why I taught him that or uh, the, 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 the consultant is his okay. friend. All right. so, so that's why he's just like, especially Sunday at a major, he's just, he never changes expressions for five hours. And then also when people would be golfing, like Earl Woods would always mess with tiger as a kid. So he'd be like trying to putt, maybe jingling keys. There'd be, he would, he would hit his putter as he's in his backstroke, all these little psychological things. Wow. So that when the time came for him to be tiger woods, and rise up to be the greatest golfer of all time, you can see that it doesn't bother him. See, that's one thing about golf. I love golf. I'm not very good at it. I golf a lot, and I still shoot 90. Like, I'm not good at golf. One thing I wish that they would change in golf, and and I I, I always, like, if I'm golfing with a group, I always say, if you guys want to keep talking and stuff, I don't care. Like, if if there's a good conversation going on, we should just turn golf into, into what the Waste Management Open is on the 16th hole, the par three, where... People want to make noise. Let's just have a steady buzz throughout the entire club tournament. flips. Yeah, I'm great down shot for it. to a club flip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, guys do that already. They, you know, they'll. I think guys have got a little more loosey goosey with how they celebrate now. That's one thing I would change for sure. Let's let's not be let's not have to be pin drop silent. This sounds really fun. good though. You got to watch it. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'll try and find it. Um. Okay. That is for sure on the list. Have you guys seen? So HBO Max, right? HBO okay. Max. Have you guys seen on Netflix the Queen's Gambit? I have not. Dawn watched the entire thing in like two days. And you didn't watch any of it? I have not. I did not watch it. Dude, it is. So it's great, though. It, it's based on a novel by uh, an author named Walter Tevis. And it, I'll just read you the, the series information from Netflix because it does a better job than I could. It's a story that explores the true cost of genius. Abandoned and entrusted to a Kentucky orphanage in the late 1950s, a young Beth Harmon discovers an astonishing talent for chess while developing an addiction to tranquilizer pills provided by the state as a sedative for the children. Haunted by her personal demons and fueled by a cocktail of narcotics and obsession, (laughs) Beth transforms into an impressively skilled and glamorous outcast while determined to conquer the traditional boundaries established in the male-dominated world of competitive chess. So she becomes... Out of nowhere, one of the greatest chess players of all time, mm-hmm. while like dealing with drug addiction and these things, and it's freaking awesome. Um, so it's, it, I think, I think I saw something right after this came out in like November. 
the numbers of people who have bought like chess boards and chess yeah. related things on Amazon and eBay spiked for two or three Didn't weeks. Did you say like the Google SEO term for chess like yeah. was up like 300% when yes. the week it came out? Yeah. Wow. So this 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 series has gotten people into chess. It's one season. It's easy to binge. It's like eight episodes or ten episodes or something. And I think it's awesome. And I, if you've played chess at all ever in your life, it's in, it's interesting just to see like. I've never played chess. You've never once in your life played chess? I think my parents tried to teach me once, and I was like, this is boring. I learned in junior, like. Because <laughs> you hate games. It, yeah. It's another stupid games. game. I'm like, he I don't want to play a game. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> so, uh, so Queen's Gambit, for sure. Judd, you got anything? Yeah, I do. I do. So I spent the entire weekend, as I said before, on my couch watching sports. So I'm going to give you one thing, mm-hmm. one thing about this, okay? Dan Dockich, who did analysis on the Gopher game on Saturday, is basically doing a hot take radio show from his home office there that's masquerading as analysis of basketball. Okay, because I had the game on mute. I was just watching oh my the God. game. I didn't hear his analysis. He, was de- he spent the first half destroying Marcus Carr. <laughs> <laughs> What's that shot? That's a terrible shot. You got to pass more. You got to pass more. He started to pass more. Now that's better. He was like coaching and hot taking the entire game. It was that's, that's how it hilarious. Should be. Yeah. I love it, dude. Like one thing, he's so, ripping it. But I mean, the greatest part is he's ripping these college kids up and down, and people on Twitter are freaking out. It's but it's it's hilarious because he just doesn't hold back, and he keeps getting more and more pissed off. I think that's awesome. And I just, because when they went to halftime and the Gophers were up, whatever it was, they get to halftime, and I had this epiphany. They go to the studio, right? And it's been the same formula at halftime of college basketball games and college football games, and ESPN's the most guilty because they have the most of these games. And it's a studio host guy, and then two former players, all of them are in suits, and the two former players are both holding pens or highlighters. Because they're taking notes and they're jotting things down that they yep. observed in the first half. Yep. Let's get thoughts from this guy who coached and is now jobless, but we employed him. Now, what did you think about the first half? Boy, Minnesota was great in transition. If they can keep that up in the second half, they're going to have a chance to hold on and beat Michigan. It's like, what's a better way? Like, you got 10 minutes. It's halftime. You got 10 minutes to entertain us, right? Yeah. Can we be better in that 10-minute space? I'm flipping, so I don't care. Let's have some fun in that 10-minute space. What can we do? I'll put a T-shirt on. Why are you wearing a suit and a tie? To me, the oldest thing now, Fox's NFL pregame halftime show. Yeah. Which used to be this sort of, hey, they're funny, cutting edge, right? And, like, they did – they took uh, those shows down, down a path that they hadn't gone. And I liked it at the time. But it's basically the same guy still. It's like, here's Terry, Howie, and Jimmy, and they're still funny. They're 75 years old, but they're still funny. Yeah, they're all wearing orthope- orthopedic yeah. shoe inserts. I mean, speaking but- of find a new, find something <laughs> different, it's like, you know, here's the, here. we're going to now go for this wacky bit. <laughs> it's true. It is antiquated. It's like, just do, find something new. It is antiquated. You found that, find, find something new. Dex, what else, what else are you watching this week? Uh, so on Saturday night, late Saturday night, after uh, the wild game, which went you know until 11.30 because it was on the West Coast and it went to overtime, uh, I got into season eight of ER. Wow. The medical drama. Season eight? Season eight. And this Wh- is Just randomly? Well, yeah, why uh, eight? Not 
necessarily randomly. Doug Ross is gone no. by then, right? Uh, uh, Clooney's gone by then? Clooney's gone. This is the Dr. Green, wow. Anthony Edwards, brain tumor comes back season. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So, so even, uh, I, would even rec- I would even say that Anthony Edwards' death in ER is more traumatizing than as Goose in Top Gun. I don't remember his death in the year. I think I had stopped watching by then. So I think I, I think when Clo- of, once Clooney was out, I think I was out. That's what I, was I, say, loved, season yeah. eight? I watched this show all the time when I was a kid with my mom. So I, I remember some of these seasons like around this time. But yeah, his his cancer comes back and it's just like heartbreaking. Um, it, it's still a really good medical drama show. Dude, they had I loved so, it. I was the, up to like four in the morning watching it. I know people are going to say Grey's Anatomy is like the peak of TV medical, but man, when they had they had ER and Chicago Hope just. Back and forth on Mandy NBC Patankin. and CBS, yep. right? That's the, the 90s old school are, decks, St. Elsewhere. Okay. Real old Medical school. show? Me- medical show from the 80s. Uh, Denzel Washington, as a oh, young wow. man, really? was on it for, and it's a, it, at that time, Who else was in that it's show? a great cast. It's a great cast. How many seasons? It I've moved a little bit it. slow, but it's really, really good. All right, saying that Dialogue elsewhere. is great. Oh, initial release, 1980, so 82 through yes. 88. And the last. Howie Mandel. And the last show is a shocker. I won't give like away the, the like secret. The series, Honestly, the yes, yes. Okay. It's a shocker. I So I'm probably not going to go through and watch St. Elsewhere. I'm going to give a pause for people that don't want this to be spoiled, but I would like Judd to spoil this for us. Unless Dex, are you yeah, going to no, go back? No, on, d- d- go ahead and spoil it. Spoil it. Okay, if you don't want it to be spoiled, stop listening. All right. Okay, now on. that those people are gone. So last show, um, I, the head, the chief doctor of the hospital, his son is, is he autistic or he, he has a disability, okay? The last episode, it turns out that the kid basically imagined the whole thing. The whole show. The whole show <laughs> was basically, the, in fact, I believe the episode ends with with there, there's like a snow globe and they show the kid looking at the snow globe and it's the hospital. Oh my gosh, that's genius! And they then and they then basically admit that that the child in, that he dreamt up or hallucinated in some way the entire show. Very Alfred Hitchcock like yeah, ending to that show. It's a very deep ending I and like it that. got a a very as I recall mixed response. What, at the what time. was the like eighties, Judd? 82 yes. through 88. It's great dialogue. It's really good. I see Mark Harmon was one of the doctors. Yes, he played Dr. Robert Caldwell. And then he young went, Mark Harmon, yeah. And then Mark Harmon went on to, I think, be in Chicago Hope, if I'm not mistaken, in the 90s. So I don't remember that. Yeah, that, that might be, be possible. Yeah, yeah, ER, dude. I recommend it. Dude, ER. I was season 8, though. I just love season how, eight. I love how it's just this random. I started it was watching season on. 8. It was turned on. And I, I was like, okay, let's let's let's. We'll the Clooney years are really good. We'll watch this. All right, and he's an attractive man too. Let's he is not pull punches. He is very a young familiar. Doug Ross, very attractive man. So that's that's what are we watching? If you guys have recommendations for what we should be watching, shoot them at us on Twitter at Phil Mackey at Jay Zolgad at Dex's tweets, and also remember our Vikings conversations even more in depth every single day on Purple Daily, Apple, Spotify, Scornorth.com. And it looks like on our YouTube channels, as of the recording of this, we are three subscribers away from twelve thousand on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. And we are over 2,500 now and headed toward 3,000 on the Score North MN YouTube channel. So help us out there. If you want to see our ugly faces, you can do that too on YouTube, Purple Daily, and Score North. We'll see you guys tomorrow.